Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to Encounter Church. I'm Pastor Craig Rice. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. We're going to have a great, great time. How many enjoyed Stop the Scroll? I feel like it was a uh, divine moment um, that God gave us for the season that we are in. Uh, in fact, I got to preach a camp meeting this week, and uh, we used, I used what we've been working on here, because I believe that there's a mission for the church to awaken and to arise in the hour that we live, and I feel like that the reason why we are in the state that we are in, in the nation and in our country and our world, is because, um, because the warriors have just gotten a little lackadaisical, they've just you know, kind of sat back and watched. And this series, I want to make sure that we are empowering you to realize that God has called you not to just sit and watch, but God has called you to get apart, involved, to pick up the sword, to pick up the plow, to move His mission and His church forward in an hour and in a day that needs what you have. And so today, today I'm just going to talk about the five distinct traits of a difference maker. All right? Why don't you turn to your neighbor, two people, turn to two people, tell them, you're a difference maker. You're a difference maker. You're a difference maker. Awesome. Well, I don't know about you, I thoroughly enjoyed Father's Day last week. Tom just brought in a powerful, powerful word. Was that not wonderful in all of that? So, so amazing. So amazing. Well, today I get to conclude our teaching portion of this series on Stop the Scroll. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday of Stop the Scroll, but next Sunday we're going to do something about what we've been talking about. So I did, we just decided this year, hey, we can sit in service, we can talk about it, we can, we can just rehearse this, or we can go out and apply this and do this. We have always been a church that from the very, our very inception has not just been about occupying a, a, a lot or a geographical location. We have been about a church that is wanting to occupy regional spiritual territory. And that takes, that takes work. It takes effort. It takes, it takes us moving together. And, and many times it's going to take us getting out of the four walls and doing something. So next Sunday... 10 a.m., we're going to meet in the parking lot, and then we're dividing up into three teams, and we are going to take three major, uh, major things that the city and the school district has asked us to do um, when we reached out to them, and we are going to go ahead and, and, and take back our city. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. So we're next Sunday. We, we need all hands on deck. We're going to be out there. I'm going to do a five-minute teaching prayer. We're going to split up into teams. We're going to go out for an hour, hour and a half, and then we're going to come back here, and we're going to have a catered lunch to everybody uh, that is serving. It's going to be an amazing day. We're going to celebrate all that God has done, but we're going to go to Lakeland High School, and we're going to work on the property of Lakeland High School next week. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. Then we're going to go. We've got another team that's going to go to Majestic Park, and, and beautify that for the city of Rathdrum. And then we've got another team that's going to go to the skate park and repaint that. We've thought that taking ownership of the places that impact young people and families is exactly where the devil's territory is. And so we're going to go take it back. You guys are ready for some preach today. I just, man, I just, all right. Uh, Matthew 9 and 35 is where I'm going to take our attention to. Uh, our series has been centered around this idea that many times we get stuck in the scroll. You know, what, you know what I mean when I'm talking about the scroll? You've got your phone and you get stuck in the loops. Come on, everybody. Like Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, I don't know, Fox News, whatever, wherever you're in. You're just, you're just scrolling. Maybe it's your emails, but you're constantly looking at the phone. Have you ever caught yourself... Picking up your phone, putting it down, and 30 seconds later, picking it back up because something may have happened between the time that you put it down and you pick. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're like me. 
I have a watch on my wrist, and I put my phone down, and I'm like, what time is it? And I pick my phone while I'm wearing something that can tell me the time without looking. And then when I pick my phone back up, there's four Slack messages, there's 18 text messages and an email, and now I'm stuck answering and looking through this stuff, and I just wanted to check the time. And I put the phone back down, and 10 minutes later, I'm like, How, what time is it? Because I didn't do what I wanted to do. All right. And I think oftentimes we get stuck in the scroll. And we do this with life, too. We just are scrolling through life. We're just going to, to the next uh, uh, school event, or we're just going to the next gas station, or going to the next uh, uh, farmer's market, or Walmart, or we're just scrolling through. And all the while, there are people, there are places, there are things that need the very Spirit of God that's in you. And I believe that in this hour, God is just saying, Church, would you... Would you stop the scroll and take a look at the world that is lost and dying around you? Would you take a look at the world that's burning? I've sent you with a mission to rescue, to save, to pull out. Come on, anybody still got the red bandana? This is, you're a rescuer of lost causes. This is who we are, what we've been sent and empowered to do. Matthew 9 and 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed one disease. He healed four different diseases. Healed every kind of disease. I think, I think sometimes we think that there's limits to the healing power of God. Well, you know, I know God can heal bronchitis, but can He heal cancer? Or, or if, if God can heal cancer, can, can He actually heal mental health issues? Every kind of disease and illness. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Father, I thank you for the moments we've shared, the power of the Holy Spirit that is evident and strong in this place. May we not only be hearers today, but may we be doers Father, today I pray for a blanketed anointing of a difference maker to fall on this church today as we get ready to wage war on hell, and we know that the very gates of hell cannot stop a moving, advancing church because we are part of the greatest kingdom, your kingdom. Now, Father, we pray for empowerment, we pray for change, we pray for victory in Jesus' name. Someone shout amen. 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 Someone say, my mind is open, my heart is ready. I receive it. I believe it. Do it, Jesus. Being neutral is not possible in a cultural war. It's a bold statement to start out today. Being neutral is not possible. We don't get to be Switzerland in the fight that we're in. Um, there, are, there are sides in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are sides. Um, Joshua made distinct definitions of drawing a line in the sand says, choose you this day who you'll serve. Um, and I think the ideology and the culture of what we're living in is trying to do this inclusivity. And in, in reality, um, it's this push for tolerance in the name of love and Love and tolerance aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, and I said this a couple weeks ago, but I want to just harp on it again. But God is love, but there's actually more scriptures that say God is holy than God is love. And the holiness of God and the love of God cannot be separated. And so there has to be, holiness has a line. Holiness has a distinction. Holiness is different. The Bible had reference in the Old Testament many times, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. There was a, there was a holiness behind it. It was, it was the moving from this to that, from here to there. And 
I, I think that in our culture today, many of us are actually malformed through people we've never actually met. We're malformed through social media personalities. We're, we're malformed through politicians. We're malformed through public figures. Uh, malformed, misinformed, and misdirected. And I would say boldly today that the church exists to do violence against the kingdom of darkness. But the violence that the kingdom does is a little different than the violence that we think of. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I think today I want to give you some, some weapons to use in the war that we are in that may be a little different than what you thought. Jesus waged war wherever he went against the kingdom of darkness. How did he do it? He healed every sickness. That's war. He set the captive free. That's war. He rescued the prostitute. That's war. He, he set at liberty those that were bound. He healed the leper. He, he made sure that people like Mary Magdalene were freed. The, he went to the, per, the man with the legion of devils and set him free where he was sitting clothed in his right mind. I'm telling you, the war that we are in is not about carnal things. It's about spiritual things. And I'm telling you, as a difference maker, we need to robe ourselves in the armor of God and and take up the weapons of spiritual warfare and learn how to pray and heal the sick. Learn how to set at liberty those that are captive. Learn how to rescue those that are lost in bondage. Learn how to pull those that are in the fire out. You want to wage war? Let's go to Lakeland High School next weekend and let's go ahead and clean up the school where our kids are at. Let's go ahead and go to the park and make sure it looks good for young families. Let's go to the skate park and let's make sure that that looks great. Because while we're there, we're just not doing community service. We're actually praying over it. And we're absolutely anointing it and saying, God, every time a skateboard touches this skate park, may the power and the anointing of God rescue and resuscitate those that are dying and lost in sin. Every time a kid comes and plays on this playground, may their lives forever be impact. You you want to talk about a war that we're in? You want to talk about a fight that we're in? Jesus came and restored the broken, blessed the helpless, gave purpose, and redefined identity to those who were confused. This was Jesus. This is what he did. This is why the religious hated him, because he was making a difference where they did not. This is why the kingdom of darkness hated him, because he was doing things and rescuing and pulling and, and restoring those that had already been taken captive. There's a terminology that I'm, I'm really wrestling with that has, has kind of helped shape some of my, my thinking lately, and it's a, it's a term in psychology. If I'm wrong on this, my wife will... Give me a sweet uh, correction in the car later, but um, it's called reciprocal inhibition, which, as psychologists say, is a technique in behavior therapy that aims to replace an undesired response like anxiety or uh, fear with a desired one by counter-conditioning. And it relies on the gradual substitution of a response that is incompatible with the original one and is potent enough to neutralize the anxiety or fear-evoking power of the stimulus, such as, like, gratitude. It, it replaces it. And, and, and as I was thinking through this, this is what psychologists discovered that God had already designed. And this reciprocal inhibition is the the thought, the pattern, the ideology today that, that there are some conditions that our world is facing. Anxiety, fear, confusion, uh, being malformed by different thoughts and political figures and social media influencers. And, and if we would look at this from a logical side, what we believe is not really logical. Believing in a virgin birth of our Savior is not really logical. Believing that he died, was buried, and three days 
later rose again. It's not really logical. That he ascended into heaven and gave people the commission to go into all the world while, 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 while people watched him ascend. It's not really logical. But it is theological. And while it may not be logical, we must rest not in the logic of it, but in the theology of it. Because where the theology comes from, it is the counteracting part that actually changes the logical part. Fear convinces you that it is logical to be afraid. Anxiety teaches you it is logical to be anxious. But if psychology can figure out that if you'll replace gratitude where anxiety is, it'll change your life. May we also as a church realize that if we will learn to add God to the equation of our world, of our life, of what we do, it will change everything. Everything. And we are missing the God element. It's not logical, but it's theological. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he he said the words, often follow me. This was not an invitation to join a book club. This was not an opportunity to get a part of another religious movement. It was a call to a life of surrender, transformation, obedience, and mission. And that call still stands today. The scripture that we read this morning says that Jesus looks on the crowd and has compassion for them because they were confused and wandering like sheep without a shepherd. And then the, the invoking emotion that comes from him gives an opportunity to give a commission to the people that were around. And he says there's a harvest and there's a great harvest. But the workers, the laborers, the difference makers are few. And if you'll pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, pray that he'll send the laborers into the field. 2023 church, this was not just an invitation for you to sit on your rear end and pray that God would do great things. This is an opportunity for you to pray and then go do. This was an invitation for you to rise up as a harvester. What we need to understand is you and I are not in charge of the harvest. God is. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. God is always in charge of the harvest. But God's heart is that harvesters would go out and harvest and reap what God has already sown and what God is already doing. And so today, I want to bring to the surface some characteristics, some traits of difference makers, which I believe is everyone in this house this morning. See... See, the church is not just a place we go, it's a people that we are. It's who we are. The church isn't just some place that we show up on Sunday, it's it's who we are every day. And I would say that the church is God's agent of transformation both personally and culturally. And it's engagement in the church, it's how we grow and how the kingdom grows. And I think that if we want to look at the church and we want to look at how God changes and how God transforms... I think a great book to start is, is Leviticus. How many ever read Leviticus and actually stayed awake? Anybody ever, anybody ever understand Leviticus? Like Leviticus is a tough, a tough thing. I, I want to I share with you some, some things in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse, verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to skip down. The heading of this passage says, Holiness Conduct. Just kind of popped out. It was this this opportunity that God is teaching them how to live holy in the land now that they've been free from from Egypt now that they're living uh, on their own God was like I've got some things that I want you to do and this is how I want you to live and he says this in verse 9 when you harvest the crop of your land do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters 
drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Interesting. In his, uh, in his opportunity to teach them about holiness conduct, he wants to talk to the harvesters. And he said, when you harvest, don't harvest everything. There's some things that you leave behind so that those who are less fortunate and those that are foreign and those that haven't got to be a part of this actually get to reap from the field that was sown. There's some things you leave behind. And, and let's, let's go down to verse uh, 17. He says, Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. I don't know who that's for today, but it's in the Bible. Uh, your relative, like, th- thanks God. Like the, the, the people that probably really mess with you the most. Like don't, don't nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. In his holiness conduct, he said it's important that you learn how to neighbor. You don't nurse hatred, and you don't hold a grudge, and you learn how to forgive, and you learn how to get on, and because if you don't, then you're actually carrying the weight and the responsibility of their sin on you. Forgiveness is so important. It's not, it's not just about allowing God to be able to forgive me, but but it's also, it's also freeing yourself from the burden of someone else's sin. But they hurt me. Yeah. But you don't want to be held responsible for their sin. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm wounded. Because these things will hold you back from the thing that you're actually supposed to be a part of. And, and God's like, this is part of holiness. Is if you learn how to love your neighbor as yourself. See, the reality is, is that oftentimes we will judge people based on their actions and ourselves by our intentions. But they did this. But maybe they didn't intend to do it that way. Because then when we get confronted, we'll say things like, well, I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry it sounded that way. Anybody been in that situation? You're like, I didn't, that was not in my intention. Yet somebody else was nursing a grudge and some bitterness because of the way it sounded to them. But it wasn't your intention. He's like, I want you to learn how to love your neighbor. Don't hold any grudges against fellow Israelites. Don't, 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 don't nurse it against your relatives. Instead, learn how to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact... Deuteronomy 24 and 19 says, When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. And here is the key. Then the Lord, then the Lord, then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. Wait, there's stipulations on God's blessing? Yeah, sometimes. And that's what he says. When you forget a bundle of crops, when you forget that you, oh, man, I didn't have enough arms. I, I didn't have enough time to grab all of it. He's like, leave it. Let someone else benefit from what you have reaped. Let someone else glean where you have already reaped. In fact, don't go back and get it. And then when you leave it out there, then God will bless you in all you do. I don't know about you, but I need the blessing and favor of God in everything that I do. This is from the Old Testament. He's teaching them that, hey... There's some things as a harvester that we have responsibility. If you want to be a difference maker, there's some things that need to be left in the field so others can gain access to it. Which leads me to the meat of this entire message today, and that's found in Ruth chapter 2. Or, yeah, Ruth chapter 2. Anybody familiar with Ruth? What a beautiful story. One would consider her such a, a virtuous woman, but... Ruth's background is not virtuous. Ruth, the Moabitess. 
the pagan. I'm going to filter myself really good right now. But <laughs> self-filter, that's, we, don't, we don't need any edits on the tape. Tape? I just dated myself. Wow. All right. <laughs> uh, the foreigner. The one that did not have the privileges like others did. The, the, the one who, who was from a, a pagan background, who worshipped other gods, who did other things, who was part of a different culture, a different environment, confused, and, and Ruth ends up marrying uh, the, the, the son, one of the sons of Naomi. And Naomi's husband dies, Ruth's husband dies, her sister's husband dies. Sounds like a great country song. And now they're stuck. What do we do? How do we make a difference? How do we move on? How do we go? And Naomi says, I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going back to my land. The food has come back. The harvests are coming back. Like, I'm going back there. And, and uh, you, you girls need to stay here. And Ruth's like, no. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever, wherever you shop, I'm going to shop. Wherever you lay down, I'm going to lay down. Wherever you live, I want to live. And whatever God is your God will be my God. There's something in you, Naomi, that I want to see. There's something in you that I want to go towards. I, I, want to, I want to see what you are invested in and what you are a part of. And I want that. And so Ruth travels with Naomi back to Israel. And, and when they get there, now they're trying to make ends meet, trying to figure out how to live, how to, how, to, how to do all this. And one of the ways that women that were widows would do it is they would go to the fields and they would gather the little grain that was left behind in the hurry of the harvesters. In the hurry to get the field done before the next feast, before the next big celebration, before the, 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 the time was, they would leave things behind in their hurry and in their rush. There were things that dropped behind. And so the widows and, and, and the outcast and the poor would come along behind them and quickly try to pick up everything that was dropped and this is where Ruth is. She's not proud. She, she, she has to humble herself to the point where she is now in this field. And she finds herself in the field of Boaz, who Boaz is a distant relative of Naomi. Logically, one would say that's just chance. Theo theologically, that would say it is divine intervention. Verse 1, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite. See, Ruth's identity is wrapped up in where she came from. And I think there's a world that is wrapped up in their identity and where they came from. And maybe some of us sitting here today, you are wrapped up in the identity of where you came from. Ruth the drug addict. Ruth the outcast. Ruth the bullied. Ruth the offended, Ruth the messed up, Ruth the divorced. You hear what I'm saying? We're stuck in that past, and it says, One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the harvest field to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman who, from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvester. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us while, when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Don't search anymore. You found home. Don't go to another field. You, you, you found a place to thrive. This, this is the field where you need to be in. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. 
Boaz is setting her up for success by saying, those are the better harvesters. Those are the kinder ones. Those are the ones that are going to leave more for you. And I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. You see what's happened? Like Boaz is setting her up for success. And Boaz in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of Christ in the New Testament. And there is this beautiful connection where he's like, I want you to have the leftovers, but it's going to supply your need. And when you're thirsty, there's a well that's already been drawn. There's water for you from, that somebody else took. And Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. I'm only broken. I'm only a widow. I'm only a divorced person. I'm only, I'm only lost. I've got a past... Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so so kindly to me, even though I am one of your workers. Just a kind word. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. And when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundles. Like, pick the good stuff. And drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. Is that not like our God? And this is this concept of being a difference maker. So here, you ready to go with me? Five distinct traits of a difference maker. Number one is that difference makers watch the vision rather, or catch the vision rather than watch the show. Difference makers catch the vision rather than watch the show. Boaz could have watched Ruth just work. Let's see what she does today. Let's see how much drive she has. Let's see if she's actually willing to put in the work. Let's see if she's actually willing to take on this task. Let's see if she's actually willing to. And we can sit back and watch the show, or we can catch the vision. Jesus in Matthew sees the crowds and has compassion on them because the vision of the people was greater than watching the people walk by. Seeing people changed and healed and delivered and restored was greater in him than just watching people walk by. There was a harvest that needed to be reaped, and Jesus wasn't interested in watching a show. Do I have any people, like, you like to watch people? Oh, let's be honest. Andrea and I, when we had first got married, we, we're not like this too much. Well, yeah, we are. Uh, we, like a fun date night for us is actually sitting at the restaurant and just watching people. Yeah. Don't judge me. I'm judging you. Okay. That, it, it, <laughs> we go to the Valley Mall not to shop but to watch. No, I'm kidding. It's It's... And I think there's sometimes that we can get so busy watching that we forget that this is part of the mission and the vision to have compassion. We can get so busy scrolling that instead of catching the vision, we're just watching the show. We were never called to be show watchers. We were called to be harvesters. You cannot be a harvester and watch the show. You have to learn to stop the show and get in the field. Catch the vision. Catch the vision. Difference makers, number two, step forward like God is behind them. That's what Boaz did. That's what Ruth did. I, I'm going to entrust that, that, that this field is God's. I'm going to trust that 
what God is doing, God knows what he's doing. Have you ever questioned, like, God, do you really know what you're doing? That's called Monday through Friday and four times on Saturday and every second on Sunday. It's, it's, but difference makers learn to step forward in faith, believing that God is behind them. That God is with them. That God is step. See, this is where faith comes in. God, I, I don't see what's next. God's like, that's exactly where I want you to be. I want the faith to step forward. Difference makers step forward like God is behind them. Number three, difference makers love like one more matters. They love like one more matters. Boaz saw Ruth and he took interest in her because she was the one. Difference makers love like one more matters. He saw Ruth and was like, who is she? What is she doing here? What can we do for her? And instead of saying she's a Moabite, kick her out. We don't want anything to do with her. There was a call that stepped back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy from the very beginning of his ability. See, all the young men had to go through schooling, and what did they have to do? They had to learn the Torah before they could graduate and go into the work. So what did Boaz know? Boaz knew the law of holiness. Boaz knew the law in Deuteronomy that if you have things in your field, you always leave some behind. You always love like one more matters. Boaz was not doing this just to do it. There was some law back in time that made him realize this is the heart of God. This is what pleases God. This is what makes God happy. That if I will take interest in the one, God will be pleased in my efforts. Be blessed in everything you do. That's the blessing. That's the provision. Number four is that difference makers feel the burden. Have you ever felt the burden in your family, your home, your marriage? You felt the burden. Difference makers feel the burden of the kingdom. They feel the weightiness of where we are in the hour that we live. They feel the weightiness. They feel the burden that there are people that need Jesus. They feel the weight on their shoulders of realizing that when I see people, I'm not just watching the show, I must feel compassion. They feel the burden. They feel the burden of the church. They feel the burden of of the mission that we are on. They feel the burden and the weight of the plow that is moving this forward. In fact, Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you turn back, you're not even fit for the kingdom. Jesus, don't say things like that. That's offensive. That hurts my feelings. That's what the Bible says. We just stay, we just stay in the Bible here at Encounter. Is that okay? Like, I was talking to somebody this last week, and they're like, I was talking to, to someone, and they said that they go to a church that sometimes stays in the Bible. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not a church. <laughs> but if we're going to stay in the Bible, we've got to realize that there's the law of the harvest, and there's a commission of the harvesters, and God has set up to us to be difference makers in the world that we live. We must feel the burden of the plow on our shoulders. We're not turning back. We're moving forward. And number five, difference makers learn to leave some in the field. I'm going to pick on my daughter today. I love this girl. Come here on stage. She looked at me like... Oh, no. Oh, no. Come on. Isn't she great? She's going to be taller than her mom in the next month. Okay. You get to play a foreigner, confused person. You get to be Ruth. All right? You get to be Ruth. All right? So here's what I want you to do. When I drop something, you've got to pick it up. That's your responsibility. You have a basket. Your basket's empty. My basket's full. So when I drop something, what do you do? All right, good. We'll work on your room later. Um, (laughs) Harvesters. Harvesters, we've got... We've got things like, God healed me. God, God set me free. 
God, God delivered my family. God provided when I didn't have anything at all. God, God, God caused me to, to prosper when everything else was dying. Am I talking to somebody today? God, God, God went ahead and took care of, of, of the issues in, in, my, in my marriage. God, God went ahead and, and allowed my, my kids to actually, actually find their way back to, to God. God. God has caused some things. And as harvesters, we've got all of these bundles of things that God has done for us. And oftentimes, we are trying to hold on to it because what if this runs out. The thing is, is your basket's only going to be as full as it is empty. And I must learn as a harvester, as a difference maker, to learn that the bundles of God, the blessings of God, and the provisions of God, and the things of God are endless. And the more I empty my basket, the more he fills it. But my basket is empty not so God can fill it, but so that the people behind me can start picking up. Because now it's not only my healing, it's her healing. Not only is it my provision, it's her provision. Not only is it my blessing, it's her blessing. And harvesters learn, hey, go ahead and drop the best grain. Go ahead and drop the best barley. Go ahead and throw some things behind. Because there's people coming behind us that need the best things that we have. And I'm telling you, there's something. God saved me. God rescued me. God set me free. God has done amazing things. We're not losing anything. We're bringing another harvester along into the kingdom of God. They're able to pick up basketfuls. The trait of a difference maker is learning to take the bundles and throw some behind for the next generation. I want my kids to learn that this is what God has done. I want Mariah to pick up bundles of what we've gone through. We're going to Lakeland High School next week to clean up, to do something, because I want to drop bundles at the front door of that high school and said, there is God still in our school. There's God still in our politics. God can still be in our town. God can still be in our school district. God can still be in our city council. God can still be in us. We're going to go to Majestic Park. Why? Because we're laying down some bundles for some young families. They may just be splashing in a splash pad and sliding down a slide and hanging off a tire swing. But really, there's an anointing of God that's going there because there's been some bundles that have been dropped at the city park saying, when they walk on this ground, this is no longer territory of the kingdom of darkness. This is God's territory. And I'm marking it with bundles and sheaves of the best barley that we've got. You've got more to pick up. Let's keep going. In fact, maybe, maybe when that basket gets a little full, I can lend another one. How be it for me to hold on to all of these when God has given me this so that I can leave it for others? We're going to go to the skate park and paint it, not just because it needs a new paint job, and not just because the city asked us to, but because we want to leave bundles. Come on, some of you skated on a skate park. And you know the culture and the environment that's there. I want to go into the kingdom of darkness. And I want to go ahead and wage war on drugs. I want to go ahead and wage war on, on, on immorality. I want to go ahead and wage war on, on these things that are stealing the lives. I want to go ahead and take the bundles of hope that I have and lay them down so others can pick it up and find Jesus for themselves. I want to be a difference maker. Come on, can we give her a hand? She did great. Band, if you'll come. See, Boaz's generosity in the field actually opened up the passageway 
for his divine future. Because Boaz married Ruth the Moabitess. And now it wasn't Ruth the Moabitess. It was Ruth, Boaz, beloved. Change it. Changed her history. Changed her future. Because from the lineage of Ruth came King David. And from the lineage of King David came Jesus Christ. But it was because of a harvester, a difference maker, that said, everything in this harvest is already God's. Everything that we have is already His. Next year more will grow. Next month more will come in. We've got plenty. Go ahead and take the best sheaves and let Ruth pick them up. So that when Ruth got home, her basket was filled. What could we do? What word of kindness? What action of love? What way of neighboring the Jesus way could we become so that when people encounter us, they walk away with their soul full, their heart full, their life full, Our world is empty, it's confused, it doesn't know what is up, what is down, what is right, and what is wrong. But somewhere along the way, a harvester must leave a trail that I know logically this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to give things away in a recession. But years ago, we decided that I'm going to give away one thing a day. So you'll know. You'll see that some of you are recipients of it. I give something away every day. Whether it's a possession of mine, whether it's an intentional kind word, I try my very best to give something of me away every day. I don't know how many pairs of shoes I've given Brevin. I've created an addiction. I'm sorry. It's important to me to realize that the bundles God has blessed me with is not just for me. If I'm going to be a difference maker, and if my future is going to be paved by the pathway of generosity, I'm going to have to throw out some bundles. Not the crappy stuff. I say that? Are you okay? You're all right? You're saved? All right. But the good stuff. Jesus' first miracle, he brought the best wine. Because he always gives the best to those that follow him. you but I want to be a difference maker I want to seize my divine moment today and be a difference maker prayer partners would you come we started the series off by picking up red bandanas saying I'm a rescuer of lost causes Today I want to conclude our teaching portion of this by coming up and picking up some wheat. Just a stalk, maybe two, maybe three. But this is not just a stalk or a piece of wheat or something. This is this is a name of somebody that you would love to find Jesus. Maybe there's a name or somebody that's on your heart right now, a family member, a loved one, a co-worker. Maybe there's four or five, six names that come to mind. You're like, oh man, they need Jesus. I want to find. 
would you come and grab a stalk for every name that comes to mind today? And when you take that home, it is our responsibility to pray that God would empower us to reach those that need Him. God, give us the compassion to see, to stop watching the show, and to catch the vision. Help us to love like one more matters. Help us to step forward like you are behind us. Help us to feel the burden and help us to leave it in the field. You'll never know what just one act of kindness, one word, one thought, one action can change the eternity of someone else. You and I are here because someone felt the burden of what it is to be called to be a harvester and a difference maker. And today, would you lift your hands all over this room? In the power and the name of Jesus, I commission your people to go into the world, to be difference makers, to stop the scroll, to look for the one, to feel the burden and weight of the plow on their shoulders, to feel the sword of the Spirit in their hands, the shield of faith in the other, the helmet of salvation on their head, the breastplate of righteousness on their chest, the belt of truth around their loins, the, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace on their feet. May they feel the weightiness of the armor of God on them, and may they wage war like a kingdom soldier today, healing the sick, raising the dead, setting at liberty those who are captive, searching for the lost, loving the one, dropping bundles of harvest behind them because you are our provider. I pray now that the names that are coming to mind would not just be names on a sheet or names in mental thought, but may they be names of intention. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would put the compassion for those on our heart right now. And may we not just be hearers, but may we be doers of this today. I pray the great commission of a harvester to fall on our church, that they today are a difference maker because you have called them to be just that. Amen. Come on, will someone say, will you lift your hand and say, I'm a difference maker. Come on, we say it again, I'm a difference maker. Like you mean it, I am a difference maker. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow Jesus to transform your soul. We pray that you have an amazing week. Thanks again for being a part of the Encounter Church family. God bless you.